we now begin a whole new Masechta, Masechus Erevin, and this will serve as the general introduction. Masechus Erevin is a direct continuation of some of the themes that we encountered in Masechus Shabbos. But while Shabbos focuses to a good degree on various Deoraisa topics with respect to Shabbos, Erevin focuses primarily on various rabbinic angles to those themes. And specifically, there are two basic themes that Erevin deals with. The first is rabbinic enactments that will protect people from violating the restrictions of transporting objects on Shabbos. As you saw in Shabbos, Masechah Shabbos, the restrictions on transporting objects come in two varieties. The first is to transfer an object from what's called the Rishus HaYachid to Rishus HaRabim, which I'll define technically shortly, private to public domain or vice versa. And the second, that's called either Hotza'a, taking out from the private domain, or Hachnasa, bring into the private domain. Doing that is an Isodoraisa, and there's a whole multitude of rabbinic protections to make sure people don't come to do that, even over the generations. And the second restriction on Shabbos for transporting items is called Ha'avara, which is transporting an item, Dalar almost four almost, which is roughly seven feet, two meters, something like that, in a Rosh Hashanah in a public domain. And again, there'll be certain rabbinic enactments over here in Armasachta to help people ensure they don't um, transgress that inadvertently. The second theme of the Masechta is a rabbinic enactment to ensure people don't venture too far from home on Shabbos. There's a basic, the spirit of Shabbos, that people should not be going on adventures and journeying around, but rather staying home and and um, focusing on internal adventures as opposed to external adventures. And that being the case, the rabbis restricted people to not venture beyond 2,000 almost, call that a kilometer, from the edge of the zone in which they live. So a number of Prakim and Masecht will deal with the halachas of, of Tchumen, of the boundaries in which one should stay on Shabbos. Okay, now the word Erevin is, can be a bit um, confusing. The reason why is because it's used in a number of different ways throughout the halachic literature. The word Eruv means Ein Reish base La'arev is to combine um to combine or to, yeah, to combine. So you could have a, a mixture of different foods. It's called a ta'aruvos. That's a mixture. You could have a mixed multitude of people joining the Jews, leaving Egypt, called the eruv rav. You could have when night falls in the evening, it's called erev because it's hard to see things and they merge together in, in terms of how they appear. So an eruv is a way to combine things. Now, what's pretty confusing is that the word eruv can apply to three different halachic mechanisms. And they have essentially no relation one to the other. Okay, so one is called the Eruv Chatseros. It'll be a major topic of the Masechta, and it's how, it's the mechanism by which one combines different Rishus, Rishiyos different private domains, to be considered a single combined Rishus Yachid, the private domain. That's the Eruv Chatseros. Then you have, totally unrelated, the Eruv Tchumen, which is the, the mechanism by which one can reorient his tachum, the zone in which he has to stay on Shabbos, since we're saying you have to stay within 2,000 almost, let's call that radius, loosely speaking, of of home, your zone that your home is on Shabbos. So there's a way, there's a mechanism called the air of tachumen, which can redefine where the locus, the center of your zone, your tachum is, your makum shvisa, your home base is for Shabbos. So that, that is the air of tachumen, also a topic of three prakman or masechta. 
There's another kind of Erev, which has no relationship whatsoever to our Masech, that has no business here, and we're not going to talk about it any further. And that is called the Erev Tavshilin. Not even define what those words mean. They have nothing to do with Masechus Erev whatsoever. Erev Tavshilin has no business in our Masechta whatsoever. That's a topic we'll discuss elsewhere in Beitza and so on. Okay, so the first theme and the major theme for most of the Masechta is the rabbinic enactments that, to protect people from inadvertently violating the restrictions on transferring. So really, we're talking about transferring from one domain to another domain, and therefore we need to define our terms, what we mean by transfer, and what we mean by domain. So both these were covered in Shabbos, but I need to cover them again here. The first is to transfer something in Shabbos, Midoraisa on a Torah level requires that one does an akira, he sets the object into motion, and a hanacha, he places it down, that it stops moving, at least momentarily, and that if you're talking about going from one domain to a different domain, meaning the hotza or hachnasa, you're talking about doing an akira in one of the two, and a, hach, and a hanacha in the other variety of domain. So if you're doing the akira in the Rishus HaYachid, the private domain, and the hanacha and the Rishus HaRabim, that's called hotza, taking out. If you do the akira in the Rishus HaRabim and the hanacha in the Rishus HaYachid, that's called hachnasa, bringing in. Both those would be in Isra Doraisa on Shabbos. In terms of ma'avir ha'avara, transferring daladamas in the Rishus HaRabim, again, you need to have an akira in one place, and a hanacha at least for Amos elsewhere, to be liable midoraisa. As far as domains go, in the Torah's conception of the Isser of Hotza, of transferring objects, I'll refer to it as Hotza from now on, not both Hotza and Hachnasa, which are really two sides of the same coin. There are two domains, and only two. There's the Rishus HaYachid, the private domain, and the Rishus HaRabim, the public domain. And before I say anything more, this is a little confusing in as much as in English, private and public really refer to kind of ownership. And that is not what we are mean by private and public. We'll define exactly what we do mean, but who owns these domains is not especially relevant to the categorization of whether they're private or public. The private domain, really has two criteria it has to meet. The first is it has to be sufficiently large, and for that, simply it has to be just four tfachim by four tfachim. A tefach is a handbreadth. We can call that 10 centimeters, um, to be simple, 4 inches, to be simple. So if you're talking about 4 by 4, you're talking about something like 16 centimeters on a side, excuse me, 16 inches on a side, or 40 centimeters on a side, something like that. That's one criterion. And the second criterion is that it has to be offset by the public domain by partitions, by machitos, machitos partitions. And if you have an area that's at least 4 by 4 tvachim that's offset by partitions, then you have Rosh Hashayachet. Now we'll have to define um, at greater length what constitutes an effective partition, a uh, legal partition. Um, but in super brief here, so you get the picture, the partition, the machitza, can really take one of three basic guises. You could have walls, like a house has walls. Those walls obviously offset the home which is the Rosh Hashayachet from the outdoors, which might be the Rosh Hashayachet. But it doesn't need to be walls per se. It could be if the Rosh Hashayachet, that 4x4 Tefach area, is offset from the Rosh Hashayachet simply because it's an elevated. It's elevated off the ground by 10 Tefachim. 
um, you know, I said that badly. I'm sorry. The the one requirement across the board for a mechitza for a partition is that it at least off is it at least offsets the shusiyachet from the shusarabim um, with the ten tefach, ten handbreadth um, partition. Now, let's call that again something like forty inches, so like a meter basically, or a yard or so. So again, it can either be walls, like I said. So the walls are just you know three foot high, four foot high walls would be sufficient. Or you could just have an elevated, you know, something like a, a, a platform. If a platform is put down in the public domain, the platform is 10 tefachim high. Since it's offset from the Rishus Harabim, it's a Rishus Yachar to itself. That could be just a, nat- a platform, even like just a natural mound or something. And similarly, a hole in the ground, like a ditch or a well, assuming that it's 10 tefachim deep and four tefachim wide, it's also Rishus Yachar. Okay, so that's the two criteria you need to have Rishus Yachid. Four by four tefachim, and offset with mechitza ten tefachim high. Once you have that, the rishus hayachid, the private domain, extends upwards at infinitum. It just keeps on going up. It doesn't matter that the walls end. The rishus hayachid keeps going up all the way as far as you want into the sky. A rishus harabim, the quote-unquote public domain, has really three criteria it needs to meet. It has to be wide, open, and set aside for public traffic. So wide means it has to be at least ten, excuse me sixteen amos across. An ama is a cubit, an arm's length. Let's call that 50 centimeters or one and a half feet, roughly. Okay, so you're talking about something like around, you know, eight meters, 25 feet across. That's the width. It has to be open. Open means that traffic can move through it from one end to the other end unimpededly. There's no wall on one side of it. There's no wall on the other side of it. Um, And also no roof above it. So it's open. And the third is that it has to be designated for public traffic. Now, how much traffic is required is not perfectly clear. There are opinions it needs to have 600,000 people moving through it in a day, and that's based on the fact that all the parameters of the Malachas and Shabbos really are derived from what happened in the Mishkan back in the desert, and the desert had 600,000 people turning the desert floor into Rosh Hashanah. So there are those who learn you need 600,000 people. There are other sheets that you need less than that. Okay, so whatever it is, you need to have significant traffic as opposed to a big open field, which while it is wide and is open, is not designated for public traffic and therefore would not be Rosh Hashanah. Okay, the Rosh Hashanah only extends above the ground 10 Tfachim, meaning that even if you have Rosh Hashanah, the airspace above 10 Tfachim is considered to be um, nothing. It's called a Makom Patur. And in fact, a Makom Patur means an exempt area. And the truth is that any area that doesn't conform to either Rishus HaYachid definition, as I just said, fourth, or Rishus Aram definition, as I just said, fourth, is considered a Makom Patur, an exempt area. And when the Torah says you can't transfer, it means you can't transfer from Rishus HaYachid to Rishus Aram, or vice versa. And transferring in and out of a Makom Patur is, is a non-halachically significant event. It's permitted to do no problem whatsoever. And that's the full extent of the Doraisa parameters for Hotza, for transferring. The rabbis, however, were concerned. They were concerned that there are a number of areas which, while not technically a Rishos or Rishos kind of feel like they are. And you could get confused between this domain and a bona fide Rishos or this domain and a bona fide Rishos And the concern was that people will reason incorrectly that if I can transfer in and out of this particular domain, that means I could transfer in and out of a Rishos or Rishos proper. And therefore, that's really where Erevin really kicks off. 
that we say um, there's a whole third category of area, which Chazal referred to as the Carmelis. The Carmelis, whatever the etymology of the word is, it means it's sort of somewhere in the middle, neither here nor there. And any area which either lacks the ten tefachim walls to make it a Rishus HaYachid, meaning it's, more, meaning it's, yes, four by four tefachim wide, but it's not offset by ten tefachim on at least three sides, um, is considered a Carmelis. Or if it is resembles a Rosh Hashanah but lacks one of the three criteria, meaning it's not sufficiently um, wide or not sufficiently open or um, not sufficiently trafficked. So you have like a, 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 a heavily trafficked road that's only, you know, seven almost wide or it, it's, let's say it's got walls on three sides or let's say it's a big open area that, that has not much traffic at all, like the open field. Those are all called a Carmelis. And the rabbis forbade transferring in or out of a Carmelis either to or from a Rosh Yachid or a Rosh Rabbim. So the Carmelis is the worst of both worlds, and therefore you cannot transfer in or out of a Carmelis, and nor can you transfer for almost within the Carmelis. Okay. Again, like Rosh Rabbim, beyond Tentfachim off the ground, the Carmelis area becomes a Makom Patur, an exempt area. There remains this fourth area, which is any fourth category of domain, which is a Makom Patur, even Midrabanan, and that is a place that doesn't have 4 by 4 Tufachim in width. Um, so if it's offset from the Shosh um, but it doesn't have the width of 4 by 4 Tufachim, then it's considered to be Makom Patur, it's an exempt area, neither Yachad nor Rabim, and indeed into such a Makom Patur, one is permitted, even Lacharchila, to transfer in or out of it. So if you have like a, a mailbox in sitting in the in a public street or something. So putting something on and off the mailbox would be okay because it's a Mokompotor. Okay, so those are the definitions of transfer and domain. Um, now we just have to define Mechitzas. Now Mechitzas is a little more complicated. Again, the essential thing here is for someone to be a Rishos HaYachid, it needs to be offset um, by Mechitzas. Most Shitas is that something to be offset on three sides, with three Mechitzas is sufficient to be a Rishos HaYachid Midoraisa. So we have to just define what constitutes a mechitza. So a mechitza would mean like a partition or a wall, of course. Um, but of course, not, nothing is so simple. You could have, you have to consider two things. You have to consider, A, what if there are gaps in that physical barrier? And secondly, we have to consider um, certain like legal extensions where there's actually no physical barrier at all. But halachly, legally, we extend the mechitzas to include that, that where there's no physical barrier whatsoever. So in terms of gaps... Then come in two varieties. The first is simply a Pesach, an opening. Now, every normal Rosh a private domain, like a home or a building, whatever it is, is going to have some entranceway. You can't have four walls on an entranceway, of course. So to have an entranceway is fine, permissible, and doesn't um, annul the Mechitza status. If there's, if there's an entranceway in a wall, it doesn't make the wall no longer a wall. It's a wall. So you can have a Pesach, a, a break in a wall, and the wall still is considered to be a contiguous wall, a continuous mechitza, even where there's there's no wall at all. There's just the entranceway. Now, for something to remain simply a Pesach, meaning just an opening in the wall, which wouldn't annul the status of the of the partition itself, it has to be... Um, it, it, two things can go wrong. The first is, if that entranceway, the Pesach, the break in the partition, is more than 10 amos across... 10 arm, you know, 10 cubits, we're talking like 5 meters, whatever it is, 15 feet or so, across. So then it's 
it's considered too big. People don't normally have entrances to their house that are 10 almost across, and therefore that would annul the status of this wall as being a legal partition. The second possibility is even if the breaks in the wall, the entranceways are less than 10 almost across, but if the majority of the length of the partition, the Wibi partition, is is breached, is holes, so then it's not considered a legal partition. So you, in either of those two cases, if you have lots of holes that add up to the majority of the length, or a single hole, which is 10 almost across, that's no longer considered a Pesach, an entranceway into the Mechitza, but rather a Pirza, a breach in the mechitza, in the, in the partition, and the partition loses its status, okay? So, therefore, a, but a smaller opening is fine. Now, we'll, in a moment, we'll talk about how you can, how you can combine, how you can um, repair or fix that the Pesach situation if it's too much or too big. The second possibility in terms of um, a, a gap in the physical partition is it can be remedied by something called lavud. Now, lavud is a principle that operates beyond the scope of simply of partitions. It's a general principle that applies throughout Kol Tarakula, that if you have two things and they're within, meaning less than three tefachim apart, call that like 11 inches, something like that, if they're within 11 inches of each other, they're considered to be already, like the distance between those two things is considered to be negligible. And in the case of partitions, as long as you have, let's say, wires or poles, and those wires or poles are each one within three tefachim of the next, they're considered to be like contiguous and solid. You've probably seen this when people have these like, you know, simple kind of rudimentary sukkahs on sukkot. They'll basically have like kind of bands that go around, like belts that go around, even though there's space between them, that does indeed justify and constitute a machitza partition, which would set it off. So if you have... Let's say you just set up your shop outside, you stick a bunch of poles in the ground as long as and mark off an area, call that your home, your shusayachid, as long as the poles are each like dowel in the ground within ten uh, three tvachim of the next, they're considered to be like a single contiguous partition, and that's fine. Similarly, if you have not verticals but horizontal poles, like the the belts that go around in the sukkah, again, as long as those belts each is within three tvachim of the next, they're considered to be contiguous, even though you have majority airspace flowing through, it doesn't matter. We l- use Lovewood to connect one pole or one belt to the next, and it's a totally bona fide, legitimate machitza, which will be able to create a Rishosiyachit. So those are um, breaches in the in the wall, or holes or gaps in the wall. Now, beyond that, there's a separate there are separate legal mechanisms which can extend machitzas. And even when you have no physical barrier, we say legally the barrier is there as well. And there are actually three of these. The first and most basic is called the tsuras hapesach, which means that if you have a breach, but it's it's a, it's a big gap, but it is it conforms to the shape of an entranceway, literally tsuras hapesach, shape of an entranceway, then it's as if there is an entranceway there. So in other words, let's say you have a wall, and the wall has a break in the wall that is indeed more than 10 almost across. So we said that's no longer a Pesach, an entranceway. That's a Pirza. It's a breach. And you've now lost your wall status, no longer a legal partition. But if you set up framing that breach in the wall with a Tsuras HaPesach, with something that is structured like an entranceway, so then we look at it as having as the Mechitza being contiguous in there entirely. What constitutes a Tsuras HaPesach, the shape of an entranceway? You need to have two posts on either side, 
and the top of the post needs to have uh, a, a lintel, a, a bar, a beam across it. So as long as you have the two posts, in Hebrew those are called mezuzos, and you have the beam across it, the Korah, the cross beam, so then that constitutes a legal partition, and it's as if the wall is there. So that means, in theory, you could kind of set up four of these in a, in a square, where essentially you have nothing pretty much but posts, and just like four cross beams connecting them atop, and if you're open, you know, you're open to the wild, etc., that would be considered a total legal because each of the four sides are legally um, a partition, as a tzuras of Pesach. And indeed, as a matter of practice, Jewish communities throughout the world that, that have what are so-called, quote-unquote, ervin that allow people to carry in the streets, um, they are relying heavily on the tzuras of Pesach phenomenon. For example, what they typically often do is they have telephone poles, and each telephone pole acts as the mezuzah, the posts, and then they have the wire going across the top of the poles, that's the, the cross beam, the Korah, which then makes for a series of um, legal partitions so that you can have a huge open expense area with telephone poles and a wire, and that's considered to be a legal mechitza, a partition. That's the tzuras of Pesach. You also can have a principle called good. Now, good means to, um, to pull or to extend. Like the word agarata, um, referring to the non-halakhic parts of the, of the, of the Gemara, like pull at your heart, they they pull you, they they reach out to you. So that's good, etc. So good extension means that you can, ex- if you have an existing partition, it can be extended further. And there's two varieties of this. There's good asik extending the partition upwards, and good achis extending the partition downwards. As far as good asik goes, extending it upwards. Once you have a legal partition on the ground, machitza. So then we say it just keeps on going up. So that that that's fine. So sometimes you'll have that for again for your in your sukkah you'll have you have a wall down below, then a lot of open air, and then the schach above goes directly above where the wall down below is. And we say it's as if the wall extends all the way up to the schach directly, and it's not considered it's called dofanakum. It's not considered a bent wall. It's straight up. Okay, so it's good asik extending the existing partition upwards, and that can go on as far as you want. Once you have a machitza, it just keeps going up as far as you need. The second way you can extend um, partition, even though there's nothing physically there, the good asik, excuse me, the good achis is to extend it downwards. The good achis says that if you have an existing partition, like say above, let's say send it over the ground, so you can extend it down to the ground, and that's considered a legal partition as well. However, when it comes to good achis extending downwards, there's another, there's another uh, caveat, and that is it has to be that small animals like um, little baby goats can't find their way into your Rishasayachet. So in a normal circumstance, that's never going to work, right? Because if you have, let's say, you have four walls dangling over the ground, suspended over the ground by a crane, and then they're, but they're off the ground, you know, whatever it is, you know, two feet off the ground. So then good achis can't work because animals can walk right in. There's nothing there. So let's not kid ourselves. But let's say, for example, it was suspended over water. So if, since there's no water, of course, the the the, uh, the small animals can't walk over, the, won't be considered to go through the water. That would be effective for good achis, and we don't consider fish to be significant in breaching walls. Not relevant. Okay, so that's the good. And finally, you have what's called pitikra yored vesosam, which means the edge of the roof goes down and seals off. That is to say, if you have a roofed area, 
So where the edge of the roof is directly beneath it, even if there's nothing there at all, we kind of legally extend the edge of the roof downwards. Kind of like, kind of like good aches, except good aches is you're taking an existing partition and moving it further down. Here we're saying there's no partition at all, there's just an edge of a roofed area, so everything beneath that roof directly down is considered to be um, within the partition. So again, we have three legal mechanisms why you can say there's a legal partition, even though there's no physical barrier whatsoever. They are tzuras pesach having the structure of an entranceway, two posts and a crossbeam. You have good extending an existing partition, either either a sick up or a chiz down. And three, pitikra yor vesosem, the edge of the roof, um, everything beneath the edge of the roof is considered to be within a partition, like the edge of the roof comes down as if it is a, a partition all to itself. Okay? So those are all essential for defining where your Rishus HaYachid is. Now, in terms of Rishus HaYachid, so that means a private area, and we're sort of defining it architecturally, but the truth is that even if something is architecturally, architecturally and legally a Rosh Yachid, it may not psychologically feel like a Rosh Yachid. It might not feel like a private domain because it's it's a private but shared living space. So something like the lobby of your, of your apartment building sure feels a lot more public than your private apartment. Or if you have, let's say, uh, in, a, in a hotel, you have like the, the, the pool area. So although it might be all walled in and private, but still it's part of the condo or the hotel, whatever it is, still... It's private compared to other people, but there are lots of people in the hotel or the condo, whatever it is, who make use of that area, and therefore it feels kind of public. It's a shared space. So the rabbis were concerned that such a shared living space kind of feels like a public domain, and people might think if I can carry from my private apartment into the hallways of the shared hallways, the shared living spaces, the lobby, the pool in the back, and so on, so then people will come to carry from their private homes into the Rosh Rabbin proper. And therefore, even though you have walls around and you have all the mechitzas in the world, let's say in the lobby of the hotel or lobby of the apartment building, you still need to make sure that it's it psychologically somehow is, the areas are merged. So in the time of Chazal, the way that their urban planning was, people had private homes, um, which they shared a common chatzer, like a, I'll call that a, a front yard, if you will, a yard. And that means you'd have, let's say, you know, could be five residents for argument's sake, kind of live in like a cul-de-sac, and then the, it's gated in the front, like a gated community, if you will. But the shared living space where they did most of their stuff, their homes are very small, and they actually did their cooking and their and their manufacturing and their repairing of whatever they're doing, um, all was done in this shared chatzir in the yard in front. So we are concerned people transferring from, if they transfer from their private home into the chatzir, they'll come to transfer from their private home into the, the true Rosh Hashanah because both kind of feel like non-private areas. And therefore, the Chazal set up that you're going to have, if you're going to be in a Chatzair, even though it legally is a Rosh Hashanah because it has walls all the way around, um, because it doesn't feel like a private space, you'll need to merge all the shared living space into a single consortium with all the residents, like it's one big happy family, all living together like one big private area. And how you'll do that merging is with a mechanism called the Eruv Chatzeros, the merging of the different private yards. So what that will mean is everyone who has access and rights to do their thing and transport through and carry and work in the shared living space has to, um, they all need to have some food that's combined that combines them. And so you'll, say, for example, have a, a box of matzah, and the box of matzah will be put in someone's house, one of the five residents' house, and the matzah will belong to all five of the people, and they'll essentially kind of, it's a, just a legal-ism, but it's as if 
all five of these people belong to this matzah, and the matzah unites them, and everyone can access the matzah where it's being stored. And it's as if they all live in the home where the matzah is being kept. And since everyone now is like one big happy family, one consortium, and that means the only people who have access to the shared living space, the lobby in the hotel, the chatzar outside, etc., is the consortium. So it feels not like a private domain. This, it's no difference between who has access to your private home and who has access to your, which is shared in that with the matzah box area, and the shared living space like the chatzar, the yard in front. So everyone's united. Kind of the same way, you have your private bedroom in your home, and you have your nine other siblings that all live together. So there are, there are 10 people with 10 different private bedrooms, but of course, the living room of the home still feels like a private because we're part of one big family, all 10 of us. So the same too, the five residents of the Chatzer, they all are united by their box of matzah and they are of Chatzeros. And in so doing, they're one big family who might have private rooms, like their private homes, but the common living spaces like the living room or the Chatzer outside is belongs to a single consortium, a single entity, and therefore it's very different psychologically than anywhere else, the Rosh Hashanah and people won't come to carry from Yachet so that is the air of Chatzeros. Now, the Chatzeros, back to the urban planning, the Chatzeros in which they lived were then connected to like larger neighborhoods called, each one called a Mavui. Mavui means an alleyway. So the different Chatzeros would be kind of these small like kind of cul-de-sacs, which would then connect to an alleyway, the Mavui, and the alleyway would give them access to the Rosh Hashanah, the main boulevard, the main area. So again, you'd have multiple Chatzeros combined to be residents of a single Mavui, like a neighborhood. And these are a little different because you don't even necessarily know your other Mavui residents. And more importantly, it abuts onto the Rosh Hashanah proper. So although the Mavui would have, let's say, three walls, let's say it's a blind alley, so it's closed on three sides, and then into those three sides are where the the entrances to the various Chatzeros, and the fourth side is open to the Rosh Hashanah. The concern is that in addition to the same thing, you, the same problem you have of like sort of, it may be legally Rosh Hashanah and legally a, a private domain, but it feels like a shared and quasi-public domain, um, which exists in the Malvi as well. You have the additional problem of there is a, a, a point, which if you go beyond it at the edge of the Malvi, you'll be in the Rosh Hashanah proper. So for such a scenario, you don't just need the residential considerations, the Eruv considerations of the combining the food. You also need to have some sort of architectural consideration. You need to make sure that it's clear to everyone where Rosh Hashanah ends and where Rosh Hashanah begins. So in a Mavui, again, that's a shared living space, if you will, that has access to Rosh Hashanah. So in addition to setting up this kind of this food Eruv mechanism, which actually in a Mavui is technically called a Shituf, Shitufi Mavaos and Eruv Chatseros are essentially the exact same thing. The Eruv Chatseros just combines the residents of the Chatser. Shitufi Mavaos combines all the Chatseros residents into a single, single Mavui of residency. The only real difference is that the Erev Chatseros must be done with bread, like matzah, whereas the shita for the mavui can be done with any, any food. As long as you have enough food for two meals for one person, that's sufficient. Okay, but in addition to the residential considerations of the Erev or the shita, when it comes to mavui, you also need to have architectural considerations. And that means that at the edge of the mavui, where it meets the Shusarab, you have to have some clear heker, some clear um, noticeable discernible reminder that this is the edge of the Rosh Yachid, where we have three walls surrounding us, and beyond this is Rosh Hashanah And if you walk beyond this, that's that's that would be an Isra Doraisa of transporting from the Yachid to the Rabbin. So 
the hacker could take two basic functions, two basic uh, guises. The first is a lechi. There'll be a post at the edge of the movi where it meets the rishasaram on the ground, or it could be a kora. A kora is a crossbeam above. So this is not a source of Pesach. Um, this means you basically have two buildings, and at the edge of the two buildings, you just lie a beam across. But there's no posts on which that Korah is sitting. So either of those two things, the Lechi or the Korah, we'll see different sheets in the, in the Tanaim, exactly if you need one or two, and so on and so forth. But once you, La Lacha, the Lechi or the Korah will function as an effective Heker, a reminder that this is the end of the Rosh Hashanah, beyond the Rosh Hashanah, and now will be the sufficient architectural um, adjustment. There's a third possibility, which is you could set up a bona fide source of Pesach, and that's what typically is done nowadays. You actually put two posts and a pole across it at the edge of the Mavui, so it's clear that's adds as a, as a fourth machitza, and then you've got a walled-in area. Also, that could be done if you have um, a Mavui that's open on two sides. In that case, you'd need to have the Lechin Kora only makes the Heker. It's, it's only like a reminder, but you can't use a reminder if you have only two walls. So that means the other, the, the fourth side has to be set off not with a Korah or Lechi, which is just a visual aid, if you will, a hacker reminder, actually set off with a proper machitza, legal machitza, and since you have traffic running through, the only real way to be able to do it is with a Tzuras HaPesach. Tzuras HaPesach, the two poles and the crossbeam, allow traffic to go through, but functions as a legal, a legal partition, so that would be a third partition, and then your fourth partition can simply be not a partition at all, but just a hacker, the Lechi or the Korah. Okay, so throughout the Masech, you have to be mindful of whether you need to have just the residential considerations of the Eruv or Shituf to combine everybody into a single consortium, or if you also need to have architectural adjustments, the Lechir Korah or Tzuras Pesach. Very confusingly, nowadays, in the year 20, I'm in 2020 right now, you refer to the Eruv, when people talk about the Eruv, they usually are referring to the, the poles and the cross beams, which are the architectural adjustments. But the truth is, in Mishnah talk, that's not the Eruv. The Eruv is the Eruv Chatseros, or Shittimuvos. That's really the architectural considerations. Okay, that's a little confusing. The Eruv remains the box of matzah, halachly speaking. Okay, fine. So that is going to be the full full background here for most of the Masechta. Um, the other major theme of the Masechta, which is much less complicated, I'll say quite briefly now, is the rabbinic requirement to stay stay more or less put on Shabbos. Now, this is actually based, it's a Dinerubanan, According to the Raman, there is some Doraisa requirements when you get much bigger out um, at, at, uh, at 12 mil, which is like 24,000 almost. That's a, that's a Doraisa, according to him. But putting that aside, everyone is required Madurabanan to not go too far, and that's based on a Pasuk, but not, it's a Durabanan, just an, it's, it's a Smach. They're a Pasuk to support the spirit of this law, which is Al Yetzi Ishmim Komo Biyom Hashvi'i. The Torah says the people shouldn't go out from their place on the seventh day in Shabbos, and therefore the rabbis said, listen, like I said before, it's not a day for going on adventures and journeying far afield. It's time for staying home and around the home. And therefore, they said you have to stay within 2,000 amos, which is about one kilometer, maybe as long as close to a mile, of the zone of your home. Okay, so we just need to define what it means by what we mean by your home and what we mean by zone. Okay, so first let's define your home. Your home on Shabbos, your Malcolm Shvisa, home base for you on Shabbos, can really be defined in one of three ways. The first way is just the de facto conventionally, which is the place where you sleep. Where you sleep is home. That's fine. So on Shabbos, your home is going to be defined as where you, where you live, normally speaking. But you can adjust and pick a different special makum a different place 
for Shabbos. So first of all, and that can happen in one of two ways. The first way is simply you can just stand stand somewhere. You know, you can just if you're standing out in a field somewhere and you say, "This is I'm saying where I'm standing now." As Shabbos comes in, that's my home for Shabbos. That can be your home for Shabbos. And if you are more than two thousand almost away from home, you're you know traveling, that would become your home for Shabbos. Okay, at all events, because you're not you can't even get access to your home anymore, which is beyond two thousand almost where you are. So that's the second way, just actually standing there on, on as Shabbos comes in to define that as your home. The third possibility is to use this mechanism called the eruv tchumen. And I'll explain in a minute why it's called Eir Tuchumen. But this Eir Tuchumen, which we'll refer to as sort of like the picnic basket of food, you can say, listen, my home for Shabbos is where my food is. There's this picnic basket, and I put this picnic basket in a particular place, and the Shabbos comes in, where the picnic basket is, that is my this my home for Shabbos. Okay, so where home is where the food is. You don't have to stand there at all. You can just give an agent, for example, to place the picnic basket or whatever, and then as Shabbos comes in, as long as there's enough, you know, when, it, when Shabbos comes in, there's food for two meals inside the picnic basket. That can be your home for Shabbos. Now, the reason why you'd want to do such a thing and why it's called Erev Tchumen is, let's say, for example, you have friends in the next town over. And the next town over is, let's say, 3,000 Amos away. Okay? So you wouldn't be able to walk to the next town on Shabbos because there's more than 2,000 Amos from your home. But if you put a picnic basket halfway between the two, your home and your friend, your town and your friend's town, so then you'd be able to walk 2,000 Amos in each direction from the picnic basket, which would include your home and his home. So you've merged those two zones together so you can traverse them on Shabbos. Hence, it's called the Eruv Tchumen, the mixing of the two zones, because it allows you and your friend's house to be now in the same zone by using this legal mechanism of the picnic basket to establish a, a Makam Shvisa, a home base on Shabbos, other than where you're standing or where your home, where you sleep, is. Okay, so that's what defines home. As far as the zone, as far as saying you can't leave the zone in which your home is, so basically there could be three possibilities of how to define the zone. And then you have 2,000 almost beyond the zone. The first is, if you're out in the open somewhere and you're standing there and that's where your makum shvis is for Shabbos, so then you simply have where you're standing plus 2,000 almost in all directions. Very technically speaking, where you're standing is like a, legally is, is a dollar almost, is four almost, so you actually have four almost plus 2,000 almost in every direction, Okay. If you're, in contrast, if you're standing in a Rosh Hashayach as Shabbos comes in, or your home, let's say you just live in a, in a log cabin in the middle of a forest. So your log cabin is your home, and that's your Makom Shvisa. So then, that's home base for you. You'll have 2,000 arms in all directions from the log cabin. And if the log cabin, hypothetically, is a Beverly Hills log cabin, and you're going glamping, and it's actually... A thousand almost on a side with you know with a hundred bedroom log cabin. So then you'd have the whole log cabin from end to end, and then you can go two thousand almost from the edge of the east wing further east, and two thousand almost from the edge of the west wing further west. So you have the whole Rosh Hashanah plus two thousand almost in all directions, which could be much more. The third possibility is if you live not if you're not not out in the the wild, but you're in a settlement. If you're in a settlement, the entire settlement is considered to be the zone in which you live, and the two thousand almost are counted from the edge of the settlement. So that could be, for argument's sake, if you live in a settlement named New York City, so you had a long, 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 long way to go, where you're still in the zone before you have 2,000 almost beyond that, okay? So we'll find. So that's what defines the zone. Now, in terms of the structure of the Masechta, as we wrap things up here, the first, there's 10 prakim. The first two prakim consider the architectural considerations you need to adjust your shasiyachid, like in the alleyway, the Mavui, so you can carry there. So we're going to talk about the Lechi, the Korah, 
the Tzuras of Pesach in the first chapter. And in the second chapter, we're going to have architectural considerations for kind of like more unusual, like outdoor areas. So, for example, around a well, certain considerations for the people who are pilgrims coming to Yerushalayim during the Rugalim, and also in a place called the Karpef. A Karpef is a large, large area which technically has like walls around it, but it's just enormous. We'll define this, but the point is it doesn't feel anymore like a private domain because it's just this massive ranch and so on. So, okay, we'll discuss more about that in its time. Those are the first two chapters. Then the next three chapters, chapters 3, 4, and 5, deal with the halachas of Truman. So the fourth, the third chapter deals with sort of setting up your heir of Truman, um, the picnic basket story. And then the fourth and fifth chapters really deal with how you measure the Trum, which is a technical and important, of course. So the measurements of that Trum, defining the 2000 almost, defining the bounds of the settlement, etc., are dealt with in the fourth and fifth parak. Then 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth prakim deal back with the residential considerations. So we're going to talk about, in the 6th chapter, the Erev Chatzeros. In the 7th chapter, we're going to talk about who is entitled to participate in the Erev Chatzeros. Because remember, if the Erev Chatzeros means you all live in one home, so to speak, that's your home base, if there's some sort of barrier that would not allow you to have access to your home, you can't say you live there on Shabbos, etc. So we'll discuss that in the 7th parak. And the 8th and ninth parak deal with the questions of like of Mavui for residential considerations, the sheets of there, as well as kind of more complicated scenarios where you're interfacing with Rishos and so on, and two-story buildings and that kind of thing. Okay, then, so that, those are the first nine parakim of Erevin, and that really sort of addresses the topics we just discussed. The tenth parak, as we kind of close off Erevin, um, goes back to various, you know, miscellaneous halachas of Hotza in general, nothing to do with necessarily the rabbinic stuff of, of Erevin and Truman, but the other, other considerations of Hotza. So with that, Bez Hashem, we've got a nice thorough introduction, and we are ready to begin the first Mishnah of Maseches Ervin, Bez Hashem.